Welcome in everyone to the Talking Tide podcast on the Belly Up Podcast Network. I'm Chase Goodbread, sports columnist with the Tuscaloosa News. I'm joined by Travis Ryer, the longtime senior analyst at BamaOnline.com. The Talking Tide podcast available on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you prefer to get your podcasting. You can catch us live on Facebook, live on YouTube as well. And of course, the Twitter feed is Talking underscore Tide. You'd like to get quick links to all of our twice weekly podcasts throughout the football season. Just give us a a follow on Twitter, a subscribe on YouTube, a like on Facebook, and you will find us no problem at all. I think a couple of sponsors really quickly, Peter Brook, chocolatier of Tuscaloosa and Heat Pizza Bar in downtown Government Square. More on them a little later in the program. We jump right in, Travis, with a look back uh, a day later than usual, of course, here on a Monday night. Uh, but with the benefit of a, an additional Nick Saban press conference, uh, we look back at Alabama's 40 to 17 road win over Mississippi State. It bumps Alabama up to four and one on the season, two and zero oh in conference play. And Travis, a, a pretty complete win, I think, on in all three phases of the game for the most part for Alabama. Uh, took control of this game. Never felt like Mississippi State was. Um, was in command of this one. And really, I think the the takeaway for me, Travis, more than anything else in this game, I felt like this was the first game all season where we saw a legitimate push from that offensive line. Uh, you saw some double teams working together like we haven't before. Uh, and we saw some running backs that were sprung for three, four, five yards before contact. And that's kind of what we've been waiting to see a little bit from this running game. And, you know, they didn't run for 300 yards or anything. The numbers for the team were 43 for 193 rushing. Uh, Nothing wrong with that at all. Uh, But setting the numbers aside, it just looked like an offensive line uh, that was in sync and, and getting the job done up front. Yeah, they avoided a couple of bullets there early with some loose footballs on the ground, both on offense and the special teams, and kind of felt like when they survived those moments, they would have a chance to take the game by the throat, and they were able to do it. And you're right, not 300 yards rushing, but in the first half anyway, 150-plus. So very effective, of course, had the explosive play from Jalen Milrow uh, on the quarterback run for 53 yards and a touchdown. But Certainly more along the lines, a continuation of more of what we expected to see from this Alabama team in terms of how it would go about its business on a weekly basis, no doubt about it. Encouraging performance, especially for that offensive line, both in run blocking and pass protection. I know Mississippi State was down a guy or two along that defensive front. But look, South Florida isn't the 85 Bears either, and Alabama struggled. In, in some moments against that defense. So execution still looked like it was on the uptick for Eric Wolford's group. Yeah, Caden Proctor, I think, played his best game of the season. Nick Saban mentioned that earlier today, I believe. Elijah Pritchett for the second game in a row got some action as well at that left tackle spot, a couple series for him. Uh, pass protection, you mentioned. A lot of clean pockets for Jalen Milrow. And, you know, you can look at the box score and say four sacks. Well, you know, not all those were on the OL. I definitely thought the first sack was on Milrow for hanging on to the football too long. Uh, and, and, you know, that happens for sure. But but sack totals aside, 
Milro has not had more clean pockets to work with in any other game in this whole year than he did against Mississippi State. And and uh, at times he looked like a guy who couldn't believe he was getting the time he was getting. And I don't blame him a bit for it, uh, given the way the pass protection has been up to this point in the season. Maybe saw a ghost or two, right? Uh, but I thought he handled it well, and he ended up with a heck of a game, 10 for 12, 164 without a turnover and uh, 11 for 69 on the ground. Yeah, the numbers were there, uh, especially in terms of efficiency, as you said, not with a a big number of pass attempts, but uh, the yards per attempt were certainly what you would like to see. That's a continuing theme with Jalen Milrow behind center. Uh, if he's going to make a mistake or two, there's also the chance that he's going to help sort of take those back with explosive play potential. And he did it with his legs, as you said, as well. And absolutely, you got to hope anyway that his trust in his protection is going to be on the rise after last Saturday night. That needs to be the case with another road game against a salty Texas A&M defense coming up. But yeah, he did. He he was more comfortable, I thought, as the game moved along. Uh, trustworthy of his trusting in his protection more as the game moved along. And with that, you saw him able to get down to his second and third guys on occasion because he had the time, first and foremost, to be able to do that. He did, and uh, he hit on his first throw. He hit Malik Benson for 27 yards. Took him almost to halftime before he made his second attempt through the air. Uh, unbelievable to get that deep in a game and, and only have one pass attempt. Of course, he ended up with with 12. Uh, but that tells you a little bit more about the consistency of the running game, especially in the first half. And, of course, there were a couple pass plays, including the one that he took for the touchdown, uh, that were intended to be passes. I looked back and forth a couple times uh, at that long touchdown run from Milrow because there's some things about it that made me think it was a, more of a design quarterback draw. And then there's a couple of things I saw in there that made me think, no, nah, that was an RPO uh, <laughs> that, that he just decided to, to abort. So, yeah, uh, I, I had some of those same thoughts in retrospect that was that maybe a draw? Um, but it looked like, as you said, sort of with, what they had working to the left there and with their receivers. Uh, if he wasn't looking for something out there, they did a hell of a job of selling it. And then also with McClellan as his protector there, um, you know, typically teams like to motion that guy out, try to go empty with the quarterback draw. Uh, but whatever the case, we know there was another low snap. So, you know, that yeah. kind of played a role in it. And then and Jalen pretty much took it from there. Speaking of those snaps, obviously we had a, a Nick Saban meltdown on the sideline after a shotgun snap hit Milrow in the uh, left shoulder as he had his head turned to the right, signaling some wide receivers. And uh, that's something that that it's it's been a month now uh, before cleanup, and uh, still hadn't getting gotten all the way done. With it. it's obviously a frustrating uh, point of discussion from Nick Saban. He was asked about it once again at his noon news conference here on Monday. Uh, Milro asked about it. Milro took the blame, said it's on me for not being louder. I got to be louder. Uh, but if you watch Nick Saban on the sideline after that play, let's just say he wasn't pinning it on Milro. No, he was not. It didn't appear that way on the broadcast either. So, uh, you know, the the what is it? The old whistling through the graveyard comes to mind when yeah. you get this deep into the season and you're still having those issues 
with shotgun snaps and it didn't it wasn't the reason why they lost the Texas game. Uh but you you hope for Seth McLaughlin and that offense's sake that it eventually doesn't put Alabama in that kind of situation because five games in, you would think at this point it would be resolved and I don't know at this point, Chase, other than maybe a sports psychologist, maybe Nick's already turned that rock over for all we know. Maybe uh, you think about making a change. I mean, it starts with the snap. You got to be able to consistently get that right. And it's just bizarre because before this season, it's something we just hadn't seen from Seth McLaughlin. Hadn't seen it before. And, and you hate to see it on a young and experienced quarterback too, right? If this was happening to, to a Bryce Young, who'd been in the job a couple, three years and was, and was totally comfortable uh, and, it, and look, a, a bad shotgun snap can can eat up any quarterback. Uh, but and Saban referenced this today. Uh, it messes the it can mess the quarterback up a little bit, even if he's able to pick it up clean. Uh, because now he's a half a second late looking at the field, half a second late seeing what might be coming rush wise, blitz wise. And uh, for the most part, I think that's one thing that that Milrose handled really well. Uh, is is dealing with these uh, with these shotgun snaps that just are not on the mark. Uh, I think Jalen's comfortable going off the script, going outside the structure of the offense, and I think that's been an unintended benefit to this situation because you go back and look at some of his best plays this season, some of his most explosive pass plays, some of his most explosive runs. They have come in the wake of inaccurate off target. Shotgun snaps. So yeah. they've been fortunate in a lot of ways that I think probably even more so than he is within the structure of the offense. A lot of times he's fine going backyard ball if it comes down to it. And uh, he's he's made it pay off. It's almost like that, that free play on a five yard offside. Right. Let's yeah. see what we can make happen. And, you know, whatever, yeah. whatever the outcome is, it's, it's certainly not on Milrow when that when that uh, ball dribbles uh, to his ankles, goes over his head or what have you. All right, Travis, defensively for Alabama, we'll look at that side of the ball as well. Third straight good game on that side for the Crimson Tide. They end up giving up 17 points. Pretty active, some big plays, three interceptions. Nice play by Jamarian Latham with a PBU to kind of set up that Chris Braswell pick six. And, you know, it's uh, this is a game too, Travis, where Alabama A – they were on the road, and they were without the signal caller, Deontay Lawson, and were no worse for the wear. They weren't. They gave up some yards on the ground, and I think it's kind of, again, a continuation of a team put something on tape, and then from that point forward, you can expect to see more and more of it until something is done to slow it down. I think Texas in week two, even on second and long, third and long, still ran the football in those situations at times. And we've seen a continuation of that. And if you go back and watch this Mississippi State game, second and eight, second and 11, third and 10, I think it was, third and 11. And Will Rogers converts with a quarterback draw that looked just like the one Jackson Dart scored on in Tuscaloosa in that third and goal. So uh, the book is out there a little bit. I think, obviously, you get teams in nickel and dime personnel. They get a little lighter in the box. And also, the personnel is of the mindset and the scheme is of the approach that we're going to get after the quarterback here. 
in a long mm-hmm. distance situation. So you start running some maybe pass rush games, some different things. You run yourself out of gaps, and then you, you got an offense hitting for a big run in those situations. I thought perimeter runs were problematic for Alabama on Saturday night, especially. So uh, that's out there now for Texas A&M. And I'm sure uh, Jimbo and Bobby are going to look to put that to use this week. Yeah, no doubt that Alabama pass defense against Mississippi State was, was better than the run defense. I thought, And one thing I've kind of noticed this year, Travis, is when another team springs a run inside on Alabama for 10-plus yards through the front, it's Caleb, da- Caleb Downs is your cleanup guy at that mm-hmm. safety spot. And maybe with one or two exceptions at the most this season, I think he's been a really sure tackler in that situation where he's in wide open space. He's not going to have any assist help, and he's got to make a, an open field solo tackle on a on an athletic ball carrier in the middle of the field to make sure that a 15 yard gain doesn't just go completely out the gate. Yeah, you go back to his high school tape, and that was one of the things that really stood out that the guy could flat out tackle. He can run that alley and he is with emphasis a tackler in those situations. And I thought for, as you said, one of the rare times this season, you saw him actually miss a tackle on that opening possession for state of the second half when they went down and got into the end zone to make it a 31-17 game. Both he and Malachi Moore had an opportunity to make a stop. And both those guys have been pretty much lights out tackling. That was one of the few occasions this season where they didn't get a guy on the ground. But I think Alabama feels good about those two guys, especially, and really their perimeter guys. Terry and Arnold can tackle. Uh, Kool-Aid's a better edge setter and tackler than he probably gets credit for because he's so good in coverage. Um, they, they've got some guys they feel good about in those situations. Pass defense looking better and better. A lot of heat coming from Turner and Braswell. I'm not mistaken, those two guys are, uh, according to the, the pressure metrics that you can find at places like PFF, two of the top pressure guys in the country uh, in terms of getting heat on the quarterback. Uh, Turner with another sack, uh, strong game for those two, and, and things, are, things are looking good for this defense, especially the pass defense right now. Speaking of two guys that you can rely on, Travis, uh, how about Will Reichard and James Burnham? Uh, as a tandem in Starkville. Once again, Reichard, absolute money with the field goals. Uh, I thought Alabama absolutely made the right decision in the first half with a fourth and two around the Mississippi State 30-yard line. You just go out there and give it to Reichard and take your three right there instead of going for it. He delivers like he's delivered all year. He's up to 24 straight conversions on field goals now. And uh, and, and James Burnup, with the 67-yard bomb that that was down inside the one, all all very nearly got another one down inside the one. Uh, just a tremendous effort from both of them. Yeah, hard to imagine there being a better kicker punter duo in college football right now than the two that are at Alabama and uh, Reichard. You know, it, it's it's huge because it's something you can also sell to Jalen Milrow. You know, there's situations where you don't have to force the football. You know, we got a guy that's going to make 95% of his field goal attempts. So let's take care of the ball. And I thought Jalen did a better job of that too. There were some situations there where Jalen could have tried to force something maybe, uh, but checked it down instead and preserved the points because you've got a guy like Will Riker that's going to cash in far more often than not. And 
you know, Burnham's been fascinating to watch. This guy from Australia, relatively new, if not entirely new, to American football. So there was going to be an adjustment period, but he's doing a pretty damn good J.K. Scott imitation at this point. I can't recall a jump like we've seen in punting average. He averaged uh, 42-plus last year. He's averaging 48-plus, almost 49 this year. Six-plus yards, six-point-something more from one year to the next, Travis. That's there. There's some extra juice in that leg. There is. And again, I think it just took some time. Really, from his start at Alabama, you could tell he was comfortable with the Australian rules approach with the nose down. But where you've seen the real transformation for him is that he has gotten comfortable with the traditional nose up style of punting. And that allows him to flip the field even more uh, so than he was before. And he, he was pretty good in terms of even flipping the field with the nose down. But now that he can also get that nose up, I think that's added to that, uh, that average. Connor Talty with that solo tackle on a kickoff return. I asked Nick Saban about that at the noon press conference. He said he doesn't want to see another kicker make a tackle this year if he can help it. Uh, but uh, nice job by Talty there on a, on a kickoff return that, that could have gone a lot longer for Mississippi State. They actually broke a couple of kickoff returns for 30-plus yards. But, uh, yeah, Nick, uh, Nick said he only makes those kickers tackle in camp, Travis. Once they get in season, he just wants them kicking. You got to protect Will Reichert and James Burnup at this point at all costs. So uh, it was inter- It was fun though watching the replay of Talty's tackle because everybody's coming over on the sideline, patting him on the head. Nick's over there like this. Why did we give up the edge to start with? I mean, he he was ticked that, as he said in his answer to your question on Monday, that Talty had to make the tackle in the first place. He didn't like right. that, even though there were some guys out there, um, maybe that aren't out there usually uh of course Nick Saban not happy with the the kicker making the tackle and Reichard nearly had one as you alluded to earlier because Tulu uh broke one and and they were kind of fortunate to to corral him and keep that as limited as they did Reichard I believe he's got an iron bowl tackle on his resume doesn't he Reichard I feel okay about I, I get the sense Reichard plus he's a veteran you know, I, I I don't want him one-on-one with Tulu Griffin in the yeah. open field, but I would like his chances more so than some other guys. Alabama's had some guys in the past now, um, more so probably punters that you could count on. P.J. Fitzgerald, Saban's first punter at Alabama, he was a really good high school football player mm-hmm. out of South Florida. So – he punted at Alabama, but he, he could make some plays. He would make some plays. They tried him on fakes and all kinds of stuff, too. So those kind of guys, though, few and far between. Always fun, too, when a kicker makes a tackle. The guy who gets tackled by the kicker, they feel like that's the most embarrassing thing oh. that could possibly happen to them. And it doesn't matter which sideline you're on. If you're if you're on the wrong sideline, you're going to hear about it. If you're on your own sideline, you're going to hear about it. Well, and you're just thinking about Monday film already, too, you know, because that's that's the one that gets shown in the team room, not just mm-hmm. in the position room or the you know special teams room. Talking Tide podcast on the Belly Up podcast network, the Twitter feed talking underscore Tide. Got to thank a couple of sponsors here really quickly. We're going to start by telling you a little bit about Heat Pizza Bar. You cannot beat the pizza down there at Heat in Government Square. 
uh, in downtown Tuscaloosa, Frank Fleming's uh, fantastic staff is going to get you taken care of uh, with some of the best pizza you can possibly have. Um, one of my favorites is the standard. It's got house red sauce, pepperoni, Italian sausage, green pepper, sweet onion, and mozzarella. Can't go wrong with the standard. I love it. Great place to go with a full bar as well and a fun atmosphere. Get you away from the craziness of the strip and have some of this great food down at Heat. They've got great daily specials too, including that Thursday special, which is a pepperoni or cheese pizza for just eight bucks from 2 to 6 p.m. and also $3 off on cocktails from, an 11, from 11A to 10P. That's on Thursdays over at Heat. So the next time you're in the mood for some great pizza, go see Frank Fleming and uh, they'll get you taken care of at 2256th Street downtown in Government Square. I'm going to tell you about Peterbrook Chocolatier out there at 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hills section of Tuscaloosa. That great staff out there at Peterbrook, 16 years in business now for your favorite, our favorite chocolatier in all of West Central Alabama. That great chocolate-covered popcorn, the signature item for all these years with Peterbrook, the chocolate footballs, and of course, Halloween, we're officially in October, so it's right around the corner. Go ahead and get those treats squared away for Halloween for you and yours right there at Peterbrook Chocolatier. 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hills section of Tuscaloosa. I got about a hundred of those awesome uh, thank you custom molds from Peter Brook that were just extra from the last corporate order that, that uh, my yes. wife put in. And I got to tell you, it, it might be about 94 now or 93. The number just keeps falling. That's uh, about 90 more than I would still have left. I'm, I'm waiting brutal. for my lovely wife, Michelle, to come to me one day and say, hey, I was a little short today. You know? <laughs> put those in the freezer. Like the teaser, put those in the freezer. Love it. Love it. Peter, Peter Brook Chocolatier. All right. The Talking Tide podcast on the Belly Up podcast network, Twitter feed, talking underscore Tide. Uh, Going to look around the SEC for a few minutes. Big day for Kentucky, Travis. They stay undefeated. One of three remaining undefeated teams in the Southeastern Conference, take care of business at home, 33 to 14 over the fighting Napiers. And uh, Wildcats now have beaten Florida three seasons in a row. So uh, Mark Stoops kind of riding high. Georgia gets by Auburn 27 to 20. Auburn uh, had Georgia uh, by the back of the neck in that second half, at least early in the second half. And then uh, a wild one in Oxford with Ole Miss knocking off LSU. Travis, where do we start with these three? You could start anywhere with those three, and there'd be plenty to talk about, but I'll go in order that you went. Uh, One step forward, two steps back for Billy Napier in Florida. Get the win against Tennessee a couple weeks ago. Think they're flying high. Then there's a bit of a hangover performance against Charlotte. You write it off to being a little lethargic after Tennessee and then just lay an egg in Lexington. 280. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I mean, oof. Um, and then, of course, the the Georgia-Auburn game. I mean, if it's not for Brock Bowers, I don't know, does Georgia win that game? The guy is just an um, animal. You know, he's a freak. And what about Lane? He went double nickels on uh, Brian Kelly and LSU. That was a fun game, no doubt about it. 55-49, that final score. I think I saw they were thirteen or 1,400 total yards of offense. SEC combined. record, right? Yeah. yeah unreal. 
but Ole Miss manages to pull it out. They storm the field down in Oxford. They'll be writing a check to the SEC for that one. And uh, it was uh, it was wild, no doubt about it. Uh, a lot of fun seeing the video of that security guard trying to take a couple of people out <laughs> in the end zone, uh, elbow to uh, a female yeah. field stormer. Traffic. I saw that, yeah. But, uh, yeah. I imagine we'll be hearing something about that security guard in the news here in the next couple of days. We'll, yeah, we'll uh, mall cop. You know, you wonder what you wonder what he thinks he's really accomplishing. You know, not just with the girl, but just trying to do anything. I mean, what are you doing? Well, right you know, here? yeah, it, it's not a good look. But hey, for what that company's probably paying them, they're thinking this guy. You know, he's he's giving us our money's worth, you know. I mean every time there's a field storming and it doesn't know it doesn't matter where it is, it is gonna be a social media bonanza because there's somebody's gonna have a phone everywhere you can have a phone trained on for and the phone the phone is a big reason why there are field stormings these days because the kids yeah. want to video themselves storming the field. Yeah, they, they run on the field, hold it up like, look at me. Yeah. As my daughter would say, they do it for the gram. They do it for the gram, you know. So, <laughs> but you know, we we heard that. Didn't we hear that the SEC might start taking away home games? Well, yeah, they're not ready to take that step. Uh, I'll believe it when I see that. Yeah, I think yeah. I think the answer is barbed wire, Travis. Barbed ah. wire all the way around the perimeter of the field. Can't you put like the invisible fence around y- you have around yards? Maybe yeah. that if you now that would be, I guess you could activate it after the game, but you know, you wouldn't want somebody running a fade into that, you know, in the corner. <laughs> of the end zone. Oh, uh, yeah, you could have some. Love it. All right, uh, we're gonna get out of here on talking tide, but we're gonna take a dip in that two deep tumbler really quickly before we go. I'm sure, as it always does, the tumbler will give us somebody that we've already discussed. Because uh, that's just the way the tumbler rolls. There's no, there's no avoiding it. Well, not this time. Malachi Moore comes out, number 13, uh, out of the tumbler. And Travis, this is a guy who I think he'd be ranked Alabama's defensive players in order of who's just playing the best football this year defensively for Alabama. You'd be, you'd be hard-pressed to keep Malachi Moore out of the top two or three. He's top three for me. He might be my top guy, and that's saying something because Dallas Turner is on a heater. Kool-Aid is incredibly critical to this defense, but you think about those three guys right now with Deontay Lawson out especially, those are the three that come to mind for me, and uh, he's a tone setter too. What I like about Malachi this season is early in games, like he did with Tulu Griffin on that quick throw, Saturday night, he makes a stop right there and kind of sent the message, no, we're not South Carolina. You're not going for 256 tonight. And he'll have another big challenge on his hands this week because Anaya Smith, you got to think, is going to be working inside for Texas A&M. So, you know, it used to be you would look at the corners and it'll be some, there'll be some matchups out there this this week for Kool-Aid and Terry and Arnold too. Uh, but nowadays, man, just because you play that star position – doesn't mean you get the third receiver. If anything, these coordinators now have figured out we want to try to get our ones inside more and get those matchups against those star defensive backs. Yeah, you never know. And if it's more of a Petrino game, you'd expect to see a lot of those shallow crossers, you know, that Petrino likes to run. So that's something to watch out for, too. You know, for me, I I, 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 like, I like zone against that stuff because if you can catch that right, you can send a real message. You can um, ring a bell. 
for yeah, sure. No doubt. All right, yeah. that's going to do it for this edition of the Talking Tide podcast. Be sure to join Travis and I a little bit later in the week, and we'll be further previewing Alabama's upcoming road game against Texas A&M. Until then, for Travis Ryer, BamaOnline.com, I'm Chase Goodbread, sports columnist with the Tuscaloosa News. We'll talk to you soon right here on Talking Tide.